On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, delegations are going to be coming in front of Hamilton City Council next week for a Grey Cup bid. What is the city willing to put up to try and make this thing work? We're going to talk about that one with a city councillor. There is all kinds of controversy around Brian Cranston's latest movie. He is an able-bodied man. You know him from Breaking Bad. He was Walter White. He is able-bodied, but he plays a quadriplegic. Should a disabled actor have been allowed to play that role? A disabled actor from Los Angeles joins us to talk about that discussion. And we spend a little bit of time chatting about creamy enchiladas, the most delicious yet visually unappealing food on planet Earth. After this. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is not football season yet, but football season is now about to be talked about. Not so much in the football kind of way. We're not talking about the on the field product with the Tie Cats players, that kind of thing, firings, hirings, none of that. Next Wednesday, January 16th, at the General Issues Committee. There are going to be two, and I mean two, really one, but there are two delegations coming before city councillors. They are going to be making a pitch that it is time that Hamilton get some help from the city of Hamilton, that the Ticats get some help from the city of Hamilton. It's time for Hamilton to host a great cup game. Now, you will probably remember, those of you who have been around for a little while, you may remember that the last time we did this was 1996. 1996 was the last time we hosted a Great Cup game. Now, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I believe every other CFL team has hosted at least twice since then, except for Ottawa. And don't forget, Ottawa's hosted once. They were out of the league for a good long while. So that's the only exception. Every other team, it bounces around. It takes turns in different cities. Everybody's had a turn or two except for Hamilton. Now, there's reasons for this. Iverwind Stadium was getting old and decrepit, and then Tim Hortons Field was being built and took forever, and there were problems, and we couldn't get into it at first, and then there were lawsuits and threats of lawsuits and litigation hanging over the place, and so the team said we can't, and the city said we can't really do anything until this thing is cleared up, until we have everybody signed off and the legal matters are good. Well, that's all apparently done now, so now it's time to go in front of the city council and see if we can get ourselves a Grey Cup game. I want to bring in Councillor Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr. To talk about this, Jason, thanks for doing this today. Very good. Thank you, Scott. When they come, we, we've heard that the city councillor, Sam Marula, has been very vocal about this. Other councillors have as well. They've said, you know, we, we've got this new stadium. We really want to be hosting some games here. Does that make it almost a done deal when the Ticats and the CFL comes in front of council that they are going to get a rubber stamp? I think so. Last time we spoke about this, it was uh, clear to me anyway that there's a great advantage to hosting a great cup, uh, better than ever before, 100 million thereabouts uh, to a community. And uh, so with the week-long festivities, uh, it's a coveted event now for all CFL cities. So th- there's no doubt, I would think, I would expect there's no doubt that the Ticats are going to ask for something from the city. Every CFL team that's ever wanted to host a Grey Cup has asked for something from their city. This would not be unique. What are you, as, and you're just one of the counselors, but what are you thinking you're willing or you're able to, to do for them? I mean, are you, are you thinking there's money there or is it in kind or what would you expect? Well, quite possibly a combination of both. It may be a little different than what we saw in the last few years, Saskatchewan, 
uh, did more in kind, I think, than anything. But uh, we're aware uh, when we said as a council last, they came to us and, and asked council about a month ago, should we work on this? And we unanimously said yes that the report that comes back is going to have uh, options that uh, most definitely, 100%, are going to uh, include some commitment from the municipality, be it in-kind, be it a cash, or a combination of both. It's hard to say what, but, uh, uh, you know, it was about a million dollars, I think, uh, for Saskatchewan last time around. I mean, the economic spinoff, quite obviously, it's uh, 100 to 1. Uh, about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, there was a piece, I actually wrote it in the paper, talking to the city about the fact that when the stadium was built, it was supposed to have structural engineering done to know how many seats could actually be put in, but because of the delays and everything else, that has now been passed off to the city. Has anything yet been done, or do you expect that th- that request will also be part of what comes in front of council to actually find out how many seats this place can hold? So, Scott, it's my understanding and recollection that when staff came to us about a month ago that was one of the things we addressed i think it was councillor ferguson who spoke to it uh scratching his head a little bit initially wondering why if it was part of the original scope with the pan am bid why didn't it occur it was one of the many outstanding issues uh we did say about a month ago that we would uh hire a consulting firm and uh, have a look at just what sort of capacity we can get in there in terms of extra seats for a big event like that. So that is then something, because obviously that has to be sorted out as part of any kind of plan. You have to know how many seats you can sell and how many, and whether the great or the CFL will be okay with that. I'm assuming no matter what the number is, they will. It's a new stadium and it hasn't been here, but you want to know. Yeah, and, you know, for you and your program, and you've been following this closely, I've uh, obviously... I've uh, been very publicly giddy about the prospect, not just one, but two in the next 10 years, because essentially that's what we talked about with uh, Mr. Young and the Ticats initially when we were pitching this partnership for the stadium and in the stadium debate, which got heated at times. That was one of the more positive things that I think we all agreed on. Uh, it may not be the 50,000, 60,000 that uh, some have been expecting over the years. Some stadiums can do that easily with the extra seating. We may not have to reach that number. I'm hearing rumors, and I'm just going to say uh, not from whom or, or just from my conversation, Scott, that uh, I get a sense that, you know, uh, anywhere between 10, 15, 20, 25, we might be able to get away with in terms of what the CFL would be happy with. Obviously, the less seats, probably a higher ticket. So we got to take that into account, too. We want to give everybody an opportunity. Just before I let you go, we only have a couple minutes left here. Um, there is one part of this that I'm confused about, and maybe you can clarify on the agenda for next Wednesday when they, when these delegations come in front of council, Bob Young or someone representing Bob Young and Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, are both going to speak to council. Then later on, you're going in camera. Now, I don't know if you know why. I'm wondering why part of this would be in camera, because this seems to be a very public bid and a very public thing. Well... It's contractual. So we go into camera when there's uh, legal issues, when there's contractual issues or staffing issues. And uh, this is most certainly going to be an in-camera session. I'll bet, safe bet, Scott, short-lived. I would assume and I'll safely bet that there'll be hopefully a lot of positivity going, going in and then coming out shortly thereafter and hopefully making an announcement to the public. But we have to follow the policies uh, that are before us in any municipality when it comes to, obviously, this is a deal. This is going to be some form of contract with the Tiger Cats, with the with the CFL that our city is, is going to embark upon if we want to 
host a great cup, and so we got to deliberate uh, that in camera before we we can't do that publicly. Councillor Jason Farr, appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. It is uh, it is next Wednesday, as I say, and it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on because uh, this is. Jason says a hundred million bucks. That's the number that's been thrown around again. I, I I'm a little skeptical of that number, but we know there is spinoff money that comes with something like this, and so how eager. Clearly, Jason Farr is eager. How eager are the rest of the councillors to jump in on this one? We're going to find out in a few days. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Most of you are familiar with the work of Brian Cranston. He's an actor, if you weren't. Uh, he was the father in Malcolm in the Middle. He was Tim Watley, the dentist in Seinfeld, who was who accused Jerry of being anti-dentite. Remember him? Uh, of course, most of you, many of you, are most familiar with him for being Walter White in Breaking Bad. Well, now he's in a movie called The Upside. I have no idea if this is a good movie, a bad movie, something in between, but he has found himself at the center of a controversy these days because Brian Cranston, as you probably know, is fully able-bodied, yet in this movie, he plays a quadriplegic. And not everybody is excited about this. A number of people, including many disabled actors and advocates for them, are saying the role shouldn't have gone to someone like him. It should have probably gone to someone who was quadriplegic. Why hire someone to fake a condition or fake something when there are people out there who are actors who can do it naturally because that is their life? I want to bring in my guest on this one. I want to bring in Paul Ford. He is an actor. Uh, He joins us from Los Angeles. He is um, a guy who's got a number of credits on Internet Movie Database. He's done a bunch of acting. Uh, He does face a challenge, though, when he's trying to get parts. He was born with a bone disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta. Uh, Paul, thanks for doing this today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, just quickly on the osteogenesis imperfecta, how does that affect you in life? And this, it, it does become germane to our discussion. How does that affect you? Uh, well, so the way I explain it is, you name it, I have broke it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I have had it since I was born. It's a hereditary disorder, um, and it's kind of like a flip of the coin. So... Like I said, you name it, I broke it. I am like three foot eight also, so it shortens your stature. I can't affect your hearing. It hasn't done mine, thank God. Um, and But like I said, I've had hundreds and hundreds of surgeries, hundreds and hundreds of broken bones. And, and you are in a wheelchair, correct? Correct. Okay. So, and I, and again, I ask not to be offensive. I ask because this is germane no. to the discussion. Because I would assume that that affects for you. You're an actor. It affects what roles you're able to get. Exactly. It does. I mean, um, it, if you look at it like right now, the only thing I'm getting called for are horror films, and it, the only thing I audition for are little person or just plain out disabled. And how many so, of those are there? Very rare. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I expected that would probably be the answer, but I, I, I yeah. Um, and I don't, I mean, I suppose that it's no surprise or shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that Hollywood people tend to create types. I mean, actors are always worried about playing a role too long because they might be typecast. They, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise right. that dis, quote, quote, air quotes, disabled person is a type in Hollywood. It, yeah, it is. 
But, you know, it's also, you know, with this, in, this new inclusion movement, it's also the last one that's going to be involved in that inclusion movement. Do you do you ever get in your mind? Do you ever get considered for a role that could be done in a wheelchair, but doesn't have to be done in a wheelchair? I mean, a, a doctor could be in a wheelchair, a lawyer could be in a wheelchair, uh, you name it. Someone else could be in a wheelchair. Do you ever get considered for those roles? Uh, they're very far in between. I, not really. <laughs> okay, and do you and um, have you ever have you been able to figure out why they wouldn't do that? They they seem to be very imaginative about who they can put in different roles. Why not that? Um, you know, I don't know why. I think it's more of it's it's basically the way my mother used to say is is because of just lack of knowledge. So, and and the way I look at it personally is it's okay. You know, you were talking about a, a person with disabled can be a doctor, can be a lawyer, or whatever have you. My my background prior to being a, a, a full-time actor was I was a financial planner. I did that for 15 years. And, you know, talking about what you were saying is I auditioned. I mean, I didn't audition, but I submitted myself to be it for a commercial where they were looking for a specific person that could be a financial planner. And in the, and in the notes when you submit, I put in there, this was a job that I did for 15 years. I never even got called in. So, yeah, and I, I, I don't know if it's, and Paul and I read. I was reading a, a, an interview you did in a magazine, and one of the lines you use in there is, "You said it's hard for you to be taken seriously." And, and listening to this, I kind of get it. I mean, it's if if you're not even getting a callback for something that is your life, uh, yeah, it, it sounds yeah. like it would be hard to be taken seriously. Exactly, it is very hard to be taken seriously. I mean, because the only thing I, you know, I like I said, the only thing that we're getting call- that I'm getting called for is for the simple fact is it, whether it's a horror film. Which I'm grateful for. Don't get me wrong. I'll take the work. (laughs) But it's just the, um, you know, I can play a lawyer. I can play a doctor. I can, I can play anything other than, you know, running man, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so would it be reasonable then conclusion or jump of logic on my part to suggest that, all right, if they're going to exclude you from certain things because of the condition that you were born with, that you can do nothing about, if there is then a role that comes up that is for someone who is disabled, look, if you can't, if I can't do that stuff, but you're going to have a role for someone who is disabled, at least consider me for that one. Exactly. That's kind of like where we are right now, because once they see, because the, the thing is, is the way I'm, the way I, because I'm not only an actor, I'm an advocate. And so the way I'm looking at it right now is, is that if you're going to hire, a, you know, someone to be a disabled person in a film, who better else? It's going to know, you know, um, other than me. Uh, the, the tricky part about this, I suppose, and, and you make a compelling case. I got to tell you, you really do make a compelling case. The tricky part is when you look at a, a guy like a Brian Cranston and his resume and the name recognition and what he's done before, can you understand where the producers or the people with the money behind a project like this wouldn't want to say, look, I know Brian Cranston is going to put butts in the seat. Therefore, whether he is or isn't disabled, he's the guy we want on the marquee. Okay. Now, to, now to answer that question, I get that part. But see, the other part of it is, is that they're not understanding is, is that if disabled actors were giving that opportunity, you may have another Brian Cranston there. So it's a chicken and an egg situation, really. It, it, exactly. So the way I look at it is, is yeah, Brian Cranston is probably going to put butts in your seat. But if disabled, I mean, because if you look at it right now, I can tell you that that the average person, I'm not sure 
what the average able body actor, what their audition rates are. But I can tell you that the average audition rate for me as an actor or any other people that I know of is about three or four a year. Do you know how many people, how many, and again, you know, this is probably such an awkward way. I keep saying disabled actor. I wish there was a better way. Maybe you can tell me a better way, but do you know how many people there are? The way I look at it, the way I look at it is, is that I look at it as, um, I'm an actor who happens to be disabled. Okay. And how many of those are there? Do you have any idea? Oh, who, who are at, who are like who are working actors? Some, there are some really amazing actors out there that are disabled, um, and you know that. I mean, if you look at people like Eileen Gruba, who is you know her and I have partnered up to advocate together. Um, those are the people that I look at, and I mean, she just did a, a play where she played a disabled woman, and it it won a Pulitzer Prize. So. You know, there are people that can put butts in the seats that are disabled, but you won't find them unless you give them that shot. And what's really ironic, I thought about this when I was following this today, is, as we've mentioned, Brian Cranston, probably most well-known for Breaking Bad, in that show, he had a disabled son who, in, in real life, has that he was did have, I believe, cerebral palsy. Very minor, but he was someone who fits that category, so it can be done. Yeah, it has been done. Look at the show speeches. I mean, look at you know, look at people like Billy Barty from back in the day. I mean, it can be done, and they can make you money. Look at, I mean, look at um, what what's his name, Peter Dinklage. Look at that guy. Yeah, yeah, who from I Game admire. of Thrones, who, and who I admire, yeah, yeah Elf, Game of yep. Thrones. I, who I admire very much, but you know, it's very rare that they actually give people like that a chance. But if you open the door. And say, you know what? Even though this is a disa- this is not asking for a disabled person, but maybe there's a disabled person that can be that person. It doesn't really matter. The other like part show the voice. You know, if you just went, if you had your back turned, you wouldn't know if I was disabled. If I'm auditioning for a role, <laughs> Paul. One of the other parts about this that becomes so difficult, I would expect is that I couldn't believe the numbers today. I went and looked it up, and I, I was stunned by the numbers. Apparently, nearly half of the Best Actor Academy Award winners, the Oscars for Best Actor, nearly half have gone to actors who have portrayed people with disabilities or illnesses. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, you've got from anything from Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump, which is, you know, a m- mental disability to right. Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man to Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot, on and on and on. There is a long, and let's be, let's be honest, a rich history of people doing excellent, excellent work portraying this, which I would think makes it even less likely that executives yeah. are going to say we have to hire someone with a disability because look the people who are doing it are doing an exceptional job well, that's true but then again it, you don't know if you have someone else that could do just an exceptional job that is that part that has that disability you don't know until you find out so so i, I don't it, like where we, I, yeah, I don't. Exp- I don't know that that it's ever going to change. I mean, it would be nice if it did, but I'm wondering if the if the easier answer and and you know no, it doesn't solve the problem, but maybe one of the easier answers is to have more parts for people written for people with disabilities that would open those doors or start opening those doors. I know, but see, then you're stuck with the point is is that you're addressing that person. You just write a disabled actor in as opposed to you know right. like that person is an actor. That person's an actor who's who happens to be disabled, but he's still that person. 
Yeah, so, you're right. You know, just because just because I you know just because I'm 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 disabled doesn't mean I can't be. I mean, for God's sake, I'm a dad. Yeah, <laughs> not married. I've been divorced, so you know. <laughs> it's it's a and it's so, a it's a valid point that there are certainly, as you said, and you joked about it. You know, there are clearly roles that are not appropriate, but there are many, yeah. many, many, many more that could be. That there's no reason that that couldn't be the case. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating discussion. Uh, his name is Paul Ford. You can look him up on Internet Movie Database. You can look him up on all kinds of. He's all over the place. He's an advocate. He's an actor. Uh, you can read interviews with him and, and on and on. Paul, I really really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. Hey, you bet, you bet. You can also find me in the latest uh, winter edition of Inspiring Lives magazine that just came out. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I'm all over the place. I'm just trying to get my name out there. Paul Ford. I'm also a producer, so you know. Look for him everywhere. You, literally, just go to Google and type in Paul Ford, and you'll be there for about four days just reading all the stuff about him. Paul, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for doing this. All right, thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy who you haven't heard on this station for a few days, which is unusual because usually he's on here for hours and hours and hours and hours every day. His name is Rick Zamperin. <laughs> He's actually been on, I think he's been on like a staycation or something for the last few days, Rick. This is true. Yep. That's a good thing. Although I do want to say this, while you have been on vacation, you have been active on social media to some degree and you posted a photo today (laughs) of your lunch. Now, as a rule, Rick, I got to say this, this is a special case because I know people, I have Facebook contacts, Facebook friends who seem to have this problem that they feel a need to post pictures of all their meals. Thankfully, you don't do that. Well, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys, if I make a meal that I'm especially proud of, or that I thought, there's no way this is going to turn out. Oh my gosh, it turned out, i got to tell the world. Okay, but that's once in a while. That's <laughs> yeah, not the people true. who, hey, look, I'm having spaghetti again today. The world exactly. wants to see my spaghetti. No, no. So, But you posted a picture today, and I must say... For a good reason, you bought a store, a boxed store made, whatever, uh, chicken, creamy chicken enchilada. Yes. And you showed a picture of the box with the, let's be honest, the, the, the photo on this thing, you could not find a more delicious looking enchilada in the darkest corners of Mexico. I mean, this was a delicious looking enchilada. And then you open it up and took a picture of what was actually inside the box. And I have two dogs and more than a few times in the last few (laughs) years, they've eaten something that didn't agree with their stomachs. And this looks like what was left on our carpet. (laughs) This is the worst looking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, number one, advertising works. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you look at the box and the photo on the box is, you know, there's these two enchiladas, they're filled with. You know, juicy, jammed, yeah, jammed uh, with meat, covered in a creamy uh, (laughs) corn and black bean sauce (laughs) and red peppers in there as well. I'm thinking this is going to be the bomb. So you know, it was a bomb. It's a bomb, all right. I'm waiting for the explosion. Let me tell you. So you know, I follow the directions to a T. You just throw it in the microwave for three and a half minutes. Uh, You know, you mix it up another two and a half minutes in the mic. Let stand for one to two minutes and have at her. Uh, yeah, it looked like a sloppy mess. It was just, and, and the taste, uh, I give it a D minus 
you know, at least there was some corn and black beans in there. The rest, I don't know what was <laughs> what was in that dish. This is one of those meals that I, I, I'm, I hesitate to say this, but it's one of those meals that looks the same going in and coming out. It's, it's, it's a, the, the makers of this, and we won't say their name on the air. Um, they (laughs) need to go to my Facebook page and figure it out. (laughs) They, they need to work on the presentation of the product. Once you get past the cardboard box, I'm telling you this, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hope you survive. I hope you're still with us tomorrow. I'd rather have the hungry man dinner. Let me tell you. The old Brian Glennie Hungry Man Dinner when yeah. he used to rip the door off the freezer and go at it. Remember those commercials? Were you too young for those commercials? No, I remember them, yeah. Yeah, Brian That's Glennie like and I think Ian I Turnbull. Yeah, Ian Turnbull and Brian Glennie. And Brian Glennie would go rip the door off the freezer. And, yeah. Uh, the CFL, I wanted to bring you on because a couple things that uh, that I wanted you to give your thoughts on here. There was a piece on Three Down Nation today, and I thought it was really interesting because it's pointing something out that I've been noticing, and I'm glad somebody else noticed it as well, and that is the CFL has what may or may not be a problem, and that is they've got some players who are good players, who with the way that the contracts are now, short contracts, a lot of people in the CFL, one year, maybe two, you have a good year, you can get a tryout with an NFL team, and then you can be gone. The CFL has really been going over the top, pointing these out. In the past, you would not see the league making any note of this because they don't want people to catch on that their best players are leaving. This year, they're really celebrating it and trying to spin it into, look how great a league we are if all of our good players are going to the NFL. Is this a winning strategy or is this one that's going to backfire on them because people are going to say, no, your best players are leaving? Uh, you know, I, I think there's some good and bad here. I, I read John Huffnagel's comments, and, you know, Calgary's lost, or at least potentially going to lose their two best players. Alex Singleton has already signed uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, probably the, the best linebacker in the Canadian Football League, <clears throat> and the best quarterback, Bo Levi Mitchell, has worked out for four NFL teams and is most likely going to sign with one of them. I'd be shocked if he didn't. And Huffnagel said basically what you said. You know, this is, you know, proving that we're doing something right here in the Canadian Football League. We are developing. NFL-ready players, which, you know, as a league, I'm not sure you you want to be. You want to have, you want to cultivate stars who are going to stay here for a long time, entertain the fans, and make your franchise and, you know, hence the league, a lot of money. Uh, if you're developing players who are going to be superstars north of the border and then are just going to fly the coop, that's really going to leave a lot of fans disenfranchised because the loyalty aspect to a particular uh, player or even uh, a team is going to, over time, evaporate. So it's a, it's a slippery slope. Uh, you know, obviously, um, most of the guys that are going to the NFL are Americans. They have that dream of playing in the National Football League, and I can't begrudge them for doing so because it's the uh, most lucrative football league on the planet. Sure, you could be forever. a backup who never plays, and yeah. you'll make more than a top-rated quarterback in the CFL. Exactly. And, you know, another, maybe the reason for this, and I was reading some comments from Dave Dickinson, who said that, you know, because the Canadian Football League does not have a collective bargaining agreement, uh, which expires on day one of of training camp uh, this year, uh, a lot of the guys who are um, not under contract or are uh, on expiring contracts, uh, Bolivar Mitchell will be one of those. Uh, you know, guys who are going to be free agents come the middle of February. Uh, Duke Williams from uh, Edmonton is a prime example. 
um, you know, they realized that, you know, with no CBA, uh, this is probably the time to test the NFL waters if that NFL window for that particular player is open. So I think that's another reason why we're seeing a lot of guys uh, go to the U.S. to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to try out for so-and-so or sign with this team and see how I fare or come trading camp. I don't think there's, and you're bang on, I don't think there's any surprise that guys, if they get the opportunity, would go and try and do this. But is this something that do you think fans are going to look at this and buy the marketing pitch that the CFL is selling that this is a really good thing for our league? Because I'm looking at this saying, I'm I'm not sure that fans are dumb, and I don't know if this necessarily means they're dumb, but I'm not sure they're going to look and go, hey, great, we're missing several of the league's best players. That means i got to go buy a ticket. Yeah, I, I, I think the average fan is going to look at this as um, not necessarily a red flag, but a big minus. I mean, we're losing... We could be losing the best quarterback, the best linebacker, one of the best receivers in Williams, and a few other players. And some teams have lost multiple players already. Edmonton, I think, has lost four players, or Calgary's lost four players to the NFL. And these are marquee guys. These are the best of the best in the Canadian Football League. So as a fan, how can you go into this season or upcoming seasons getting excited about players you've never heard of? You want to see, if you're buying tickets, you want to see the best players in this league. And you know, there might be a few of those on several rosters that we have no idea that they exist because they haven't been given the opportunity yep. to, you know, strut their stuff. But, uh, you know, if the NFL lost, you know, three or four or five of their marquee players to another league, be it the CFL or whatever, the NFL fans would be saying, hey, wait a minute, why are these guys going? What's wrong with our league? Uh, we want to cheer for these guys. So, it, as I said, it's a slippery slope. It's great for them. But for the Canadian Football League, you know, losing their best players is, is never a good thing. Well, what is the one commonly used knock against the CFL by those who are NFL fans and don't like the CFL? Well, I can think of several, but number one is, you know, they don't pay their players enough. They don't pay their players, but the, the one you hear all the time is, look, the NFL is the real league, the CFL is a Bush league, or it's a lower league right. or whatever else. Yeah. And I think that's an easy argument to shoot down. I think it is because it's a different game and it's different mm-hmm. kinds of athletes and all the rest of the stuff. I think that's an unfair, inaccurate argument. It's a different game. But when this is happening, you're I think if you're the CFL, you're actually saying, no, we're a lot more like the same game. I think you're you're actually pumping up your the perception of minor leagueness rather than doing the opposite. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. To say that, hey, we're doing something right and these guys are now off to the bigger league, it, it's almost as if, uh, you know, Huffnagel and Dickinson and all these guys who are making these comments are treating the CFL as a feeder league to the NFL. Exactly. In some cases, in some cases it, is, it is, but, you know, we see a lot more NCAA players come to the CFL than we're seeing CFL players go to the NFL, that's for sure. There was a time, and it's there have been cases for sure where there have been CFL players that have gone to the NFL, and it has been a point of pride for CFL fans. When Doug Flutie went, when Warren Moon went, there have been times when, even though the best player left, that CFL fans have been invested in that player's success in the NFL. So it's not completely unique, but I'm not sure that if Bo Levi Mitchell goes... Are the folks in Canada right now rooting for Bo Levi Mitchell to be the best quarterback in the NFL, or are they rooting for him to get fed up standing on the sidelines as the second or third stringer in a year from now come back? 
Well, there could be. I, I think there's two categories of those fans. I think there's some fans that want him to be the best quarterback. It would be no different than when Flutie went down there or even Jeff Garcia, who was a pro bowler at one point. Uh, I think there is a certain sense of pride to say, hey, he was once in the Canadian Football League and now he's one of the best in the NFL. Uh, the other part of that fan base would be, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to see Bo Levi Mitchell hit the field at all. I want to see him fail so he does come back to the CFL because I want to cheer for that guy. I think there'd probably be more in the former group, but there would certainly be a large contingent in that latter group. All right, let me switch uh, just for the few minutes that we have left here. There is a baseball player out there right now. His name is Bryce Harper. Uh, there's another baseball player by the name of Manny Machado, but Bryce Harper particularly, he's a free agent. He was supposed to be or is supposed to be the most sought-after free agent in the history of baseball. They were talking that he might get $400 million in a contract over 8, 9, 10 years. Now, that may still happen, Rick, but he is, we're getting, we're five weeks away from the start of spring training, and he still doesn't have a team. Machado, who's the other guy who's supposed to make that kind of money, free agent, still doesn't have a team. Is this a blip? Or are we actually, for the first time seemingly in our lives, seeing a bunch of owners saying, wait a second, $400 million, I don't care what is going on, is a lot of money, and I'm not really sure we're ready to go down that road. Well, you know, you look at teams like the Athletics, uh, the Brewers, uh, who have in uh, you know very recent times gone with um, much less lucrative contracts. They don't have mega stars on their teams uh, on the flip side we see you know the red sox the yankees the dodgers uh certainly the astros and the indians you know sign mega stars to mega million dollar contracts and they've done quite well uh the fact of the matter is with harper a very unique situation where you know you have the dodgers and the yankees and the phillies and his team the nationals or his former or could be i guess his former team uh the white Sox in the race uh you know a lot of hats in the ring and he turned down a 10-year, $300 million contract from the Nationals to stay in Washington uh, and decided, hey, I'm going to look around to see if I can get that $400 million deal. Because he's not yet, which is kind of funny to say, not yet in his prime. and He's still doing some you know, uh, unique things at the ball diamond. Uh, but now after you know, looking around at other franchises, the Dodgers saying, hey, you know what, this contract is a little too rich for our blood. They're actually slashing payroll. Uh, you know, some teams coming down payroll as well. And now he might go back to the Nationals who have intimated that, you know, they might go a little higher than 10 years and 300 million. The fact of the matter is, uh, you know, this, we're not seeing as many of these, you know, A-Rod 10-year, $252 million contracts as what he signed with the Yankees, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago. Uh, I think teams are a lot smarter than that to say, you know, if, if we could sign three guys for $300 million or one guy for $300 million. I mean, the math is easy. The production is easy. Uh, you're going to get a lot more production out of three guys or four guys than one. Uh, I, I think these kind of mega deals are going to be once in a generation. What was that old joke about what's the fastest way to become a millionaire? Be a billionaire and buy a sports franchise? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because what has happened traditionally, not with everyone, there are, I mean, the, 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 and it's almost all men. So I grant you, the, when I say the guys, I'm not being sexist. That's the reality. The guys yeah. who buy sports franchises have gotten there, almost all of them have been very smart, have been very bright in business, and have made their millions and millions with really good, sound business judgment. And then all of a sudden they get this team and they lose their minds. 
and they just start throwing money around like it's nothing. And that's the shocking part to me. I thought with a guy like Bryce Harper that a week, two weeks, three weeks after, at the most, after free agency started, some idiot owner with money burning a hole in his pocket would go, yeah, Bryce Harper, bring him in. That's, that's, he'll be the first one of a bunch that we'll bring in and we'll build ourselves a, a huge team. I'm really surprised he's still sitting there, and I don't know if it means anything. I'm kind of surprised, too, but I also took a glance at the uh, prospective free agent list for 2019, and there's some pretty good names on it. Uh, Nolan Arenado is on there from the Rockies, Scooter Jeanette, uh, and a few others who are going to hit free agency. So maybe, you know, GMs in, in multiple uh, cities have kind of convinced their owners to say, you know what, we don't really need to, uh, you know, fire all our uh, money at this one player. We can wait to uh, get an equally good player for maybe a lot less. And that might be what, uh, you know, some, some franchises are doing. I, I am kind of surprised that both Harper and Machado have not signed at this point. I think they'll get done in the next two to three weeks, I would suspect. Uh, I, I can see Harper going back to the Nationals or go to the Phillies, and I can really see the Phillies making a big push for Machado. I think those are the two franchises in the mix. Yeah, you bring up an interesting thing. I wonder if this is the owners or if this is general managers who are looking at this saying, if I push my owner to put down 350 or $400 million on one guy and he wets the bed, yeah. I know my job ain't coming back. <laughs> exactly. uh, that, that's, that's, you're putting a, every egg in one basket if you do that. If you were the one who convinces your owner to sign Bryce Harper for that kind of money and he doesn't come through as one of the best players in baseball, you're done. And not just with that team, you're done forever. Interesting, too, though, you know, a team like the Yankees, who, you know, has shown us in the past are willing to go over that luxury tax threshold, they may have told Harper and Machado's agent to say, listen, uh, whatever your best deal is, we'll one-up it, and we'll get either one or both of the guys. Uh, I can't really see a team getting both, but uh, that might be, you know, in the cards as Could well, be. and, and, and uh, some of those other teams are just not willing to, to pony up. Yeah, you know, and you and I could both be sitting here in a week or three days or whatever, coming back and having this discussion saying, yeah, you know what, we were both so far off. Because it, it, some team ends up poning up 400 million bucks and it just took longer. And then we both say, well, what we were talking about was just nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It, it could happen. I mean, it, it when it ultimately comes down to it, as I say, a lot of these owners, they're their ego and their competitive drive and their cojones get ahead of their brains sometimes, it seems. And, you know, you get into a bidding war and who knows. But before we go, let me ask you one more thing. Because I'm look even let's say, and, and it's, it sounds funny to say this. It sounds ridiculous to say this. Let's say he only gets $300 million, which would be, that's what you got in your last contract, right? <laughs> Very close. Yeah. yeah, okay. That was Bill. Sorry, that was Bill. You got 250. <laughs> uh, let's say he only gets $300 million. That's still an extraordinary, unbelievable. We, we, we sort of, it becomes almost just like chatter in the background, like white noise. We forget how much money that is. There, there has to be a point at some time, Rick, if a recession hits, if something happens, there has to be a point that some sport is going to spend itself into oblivion because it can't keep up with the salaries that it's paying. That sport, well, I think, would be baseball. Number one, at $30 million a year, uh, he still wouldn't be the highest-paid player in Major League Baseball, which is, I find, astounding. I think Zach Greinke holds that uh, that card at 36 or $38 million a year, which is just incredible. But number two, you know, you're not paying six or eight or ten guys, uh, you know, big-time money as, you know, the NBA does. Uh, or, uh, you know, four or five in the NHL where you have, you know, multi-million dollar deals over, you know, a certain length of time. 
uh, or even the NFL. I mean, you have 50 plus man rosters, but only a couple of them are really getting big bucks. In baseball, it's, I mean, go down the Red Sox and the Yankees lineup, and even the Astros, really, a lot of these guys are making a lot of coin. And you have 20 man rosters, 24 man rosters, 40 man rosters come, you know, the fall. That's a lot of money to spend, especially if only a handful of teams make the playoffs. There's a lot of teams spending a lot of money that are not making the postseason, and some of which, like the Nationals, make the postseason and don't do anything. So, I mean, what's the return on investment? That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. You could buy an awful lot of creamy enchiladas with that kind of money. (laughs) You certainly can. You wouldn't enjoy it, but you could buy it. You could probably buy the company, to tell you the truth. You, uh, could you imagine if it looks like this in your bowl? Could you imagine what it looks like in the warehouse? <laughs> Just these giant vats of of whatever that is. I'll, I'll promise you this: when I do eventually go to the washroom, there will not there will not be a sequel post to today's post of the. We don't need one. one. Just look at no. this first picture. You know exactly what it's going to look like. We're way off topic, Rick. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for doing this. You got it. That is Rick Zamper, and he's enjoying the last few days of his holiday. He'll be back on here, hopefully, health permitting, assuming this enchilada doesn't kill him. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.